Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, will you turn back with me to Acts chapter 18, where Andrew led us in reading through that passage just a little bit ago. He did a great job, a lot of crazy geographical names in there. I went up to him to try to help him with one. He already knew what it was because he had Googled all of these. And that's awesome, isn't it? That's preparation. He wanted to make sure he led you well through God's word. Um, all right, in the passage that we read earlier, uh, the second missionary journey of Paul, it comes to an end, and the third missionary journey begins. In the first 17 verses of chapter 18, we were introduced to two converts of Paul, Aquila and Priscilla, they, as soon as they were saved, they immediately became mission partners with him. And then here in this passage, we're introduced to another individual who comes to Christ and then heads right out on mission as well. And before we study this passage now, before we look at it verse by verse, let's ask God to reveal the truth of his word to us. Let's pray. Lord, we come to this section of scripture, and it's been a joy to go through the book of Acts. We see um, those who were members, part of the first, uh, the early church, who um, Lord, they did an amazing thing. Uh, we so often can go through this and just say, man, we'd love to experience things like that in our day. And they did it just by simply obeying the great commission that you gave them, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's available to us, God. There, there's nothing that separates uh, them from us as far as what we're capable of if we will simply obey what Jesus has told us to do, um, that we would have lives that um, we understand that um, they are comprehensively, every part of them, they are Christ's. They don't belong to anybody else. And Lord, if we would just rely on his Holy Spirit, we also uh, can have the blessing of being a part of what we read about here. And I pray that that would happen here at Dublin First Baptist Church. I'm thankful that in, in very real ways, uh, it is happening. Lord, there's always more that we can do. Um, there's always a passion that can be ignited uh, even more greatly, and we want that, God. We come together now asking for that. Uh, Lord, help us to obey like they did. Help us to have that passion, relying on the Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So verses 18 to 21, they give us some details about the second missionary journey coming to a close, and we learn of their route on mission. If you look at verse 18, it says they tarried there. Uh, in verse 18, that tarried there is talking about the city of Corinth. Uh, we know from verse 11 that Paul and the mission team had already spent a year and a half in Corinth. And so this phrase that they tarried there in verse 18 means they stayed there even a good bit longer. Uh, that's significant because to this point, if we were to go back and look at all the different places that Paul and his mission teammates went on the first missionary journey and so far on the second um, Paul's tenure in any of those cities that God led him to uh, for the purpose of sharing the gospel and, and planting churches, it was relatively short. The gospel would be shared, a church might be planted, but very quickly opposition would arise and it would necessitate at least a temporary pause 
and those mission activities. Verse 18 also tells us that eventually it was time for Paul to leave Silas and Timothy here in uh, Corinth to continue sharing the gospel, continue discipling those who had trusted Jesus as Savior. It says in verse 18 that Paul took leave of the brethren, and now he was headed home. Paul and his new mission teammates, Aquila and Priscilla, um, they head for Syria. That's where their sending church in Antioch was located. There is one additional interesting description at the end of verse 18. It said Paul had shorn his head in Syncria because he had taken a vow. What's that about? Well, it seems that before leaving Corinth, Paul had taken a Nazarite vow. You might be familiar with that from the Old Testament, from Samson, the story about his life. Uh, Paul allowed his hair to grow uncut until the fulfillment of that vow at this point. Um, that's, that's just a little phrase, but it is an interesting insight into not only Paul's cultural heritage, but also his ministry strategy. We, we know that Paul steadfastly refused to ever let the demands of the Old Testament ceremonial law be imposed on Christians who were not ethnically Jewish, but, but Paul was a Jew, ethnically. And he continued to practice many of the Old Testament ceremonial law's demands, probably in order to increase his effectiveness in reaching the Jewish people. That's always who he went to first. Paul's known as the missionary to the Gentiles. But we've learned that in every city that God sent him to, the very first people that he went to share the gospel with were God's ethnic people, the Jews. He'd go to the synagogue. And that's what God has Paul described as being how he ministered. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, 21 and 22, Paul writes there, Though I am free and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those who are under the law. You know, it, it, would, it would be you and I living in great commission obedience if we could imitate Paul in this kind of humble, selfless commitment. Not, not you taking a Nazarite vow, uh, not you letting your hair grow uncut, but I hope you understand the parallel, the application to your own life. Would, do you have that same humble, selfless commitment to sharing the gospel um, that you're willing to do things that you don't have to do in order to make sure that um, the gospel goes out and that it's received and that disciples are made for Jesus Christ? And while this vow might seem strange to us, because it is strange to our cultural heritage, um, it's not a whole lot of different than many things that the Christian is told to do. I mean, as far as purpose, it would be much like fasting, a special time of devotion to God. Now, we're to be devoted to God all the time, but we have certain things where that devotion is increased. Meeting together. I hope you worship the Lord every day. I hope that, as we just sang, you live for God's glory every day. But when we come together on Sunday, on Wednesday, other times, that's a special thing. It's a special time of devotion. That's really what the purpose of this vow is, just like so many other things in our, our Christian life, a special consecration of one's life to God for some period of time. So now, now the trip from Corinth to Greece that, that Paul's about ready to head to, and then all the way back home to Antioch and Syria, that's a lengthy trip. And we learn uh, of a stop that they made in verse 19. Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla, they pause. They, they make a little layover here in the city of Ephesus. If you remember, it was a few chapters ago at the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey uh, that Paul had a strong desire to go to Ephesus. It was a major city. 
as far as mission strategy goes, that is a place where you would want to share the gospel to see it reach other parts, the, the rural areas uh, near it. But if you remember, we, we learned from God's word back then, that even though Paul had a desire to go to Ephesus, it said the Holy Spirit prevented him. There were obstacles in his way that made it clear to, to Paul that God did not want him going to Ephesus yet. Look where he is right now. Christian, do you realize that sometimes a no from God is not a forever no? You can have a desire, you can pray, uh, you can say, God, show me your will, and I think this might be your will. Sometimes um, God gives you what we might think of a, a no as a delayed yes, uh, a wait. Do, do we have a God? Do we serve a God who's worthy of trusting him uh, even when our desires are delayed? Do we? We do. And as has been typical, verse 19 lets us know as soon as they got to Ephesus where Paul headed first. He went to the synagogue to teach the Jews there that Jesus was God's promised Messiah, Savior. You know, unlike most cities where Paul did this so far, the Jews here in Ephesus, they did not uh, immediately rise up in opposition to the gospel that was preached. Verse 20 actually says that they desired Paul to tarry longer time with them. They gave him an invitation. No, stay with us. We want to hear more of this gospel. But we find out that Paul was determined to head out. He was determined to keep going. He told them goodbye because it says there he must by all means reach Jerusalem and keep this feast. Now, you might not have that phrase in some modern translations of the Bible. It's in the King James Version. I think it's helpful because it explains to us why Paul would leave such a golden opportunity to continue to share the gospel. He needed to get back to Jerusalem to keep this feast. Probably talking about the, the Passover feast. And Paul's intent was to go back there and to share the gospel with all of the Jews who were going to be in Jerusalem celebrating that feast. He wanted to point them to uh, the once and for all saving sacrifice that that feast had pointed to. For centuries. And according to verses 21 and 22, Paul assured the new believers there in Ephesus, he said, I will return to you if God will. And Paul left Aquila and Priscilla with them in Ephesus to disciple these new believers. Paul went on alone. He sailed from Ephesus to Caesarea, a port city not far from Jerusalem. Uh, had that mission trip. My, my first one in Moldova, it was wonderful. Um, I never experienced one like that. I mean, I've been overseas before in the military, but it was kind of a one-stop straight shot that I had been medicated enough to sleep the whole way. Uh, I did not sleep on the way over there because I drank that Austrian Airlines coffee. And, and I, I mean, it was tiring. Joe and Marie were probably old hats at this. Uh, we just had one stop. I, I read about this, and Paul's going here and here and here, just trying to get back, trying to close out this second missionary trip, and just reading it, I'm worn out. Now let's look at the report on mission. This is the whole reason he went back. Verse 22, we already addressed that Paul was determined to get to Jerusalem for this Passover feast opportunity where he could share the gospel with his people. But he may have had another intent in going to Jerusalem as well. Verse 22 tells us that after Paul landed in Caesarea, he went up. Now, uh, geographically or directionally, uh, he really went down. Uh, Caesarea is north of Jerusalem. But when we come to God's word, uh, when we read it, going to Jerusalem is always going up and leaving is always going down, even if you're heading north. Are you confused? I mean, that's kind of confusing. I don't blame you 
Uh, God's word describes Jerusalem as up for a couple of reasons. For one, it was higher in elevation than most other places around there. Uh, But more importantly, God's word portrays Jerusalem as a city where God chose to build his temple. It's God's city. It's a place where he chose to dwell, where his presence would be. And so it's always referred to as up. I hope that at least makes some sense now. And then verse 22 says this, Paul saluted the church there, meaning the church at Jerusalem. And I have a strong feeling that this means much more than Paul just like went in and out, stopped at the pastor's office and said, hey, how you doing? It's been great. Hope you're doing well. I believe it's likely that Paul gave a report on mission telling the Christians there at Jerusalem, that the mother church, where all this started back on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, telling them about what God had been doing as followers of Jesus, obeyed the Great Commission, and they went here, there, everywhere, sharing the gospel and making disciples. It's also Paul's whole purpose in going home to Antioch at his final destination at the end of this second missionary journey. The end of verse 22 says that Paul finally arrived back home in Antioch, and he gives a report to the church there. This is a dear church to him. It's the church where he first ministered, where he first spent years making disciples right after he got saved on that Damascus road. Uh, This church in Antioch had sent him and had sent his teammates out on mission now twice. This church had faithfully and financially and prayerfully made every one of these mission trips possible to this point. And Paul tells them what God had been doing. Isn't it wonderful when we get mission reports here? I mean, first Wednesday night of every month is one of my favorite worship services I look forward to. I love to hear about what God is doing through followers of Jesus on mission. Uh, It keeps us centered. God may it ever do that. It keeps us centered, motivated to keep living in obedience ourselves to the mission that Jesus has given every single one of us. And while we all might not be able to, to go on mission all the time, we might not all be able to go everywhere, we all are a part of the mission activities at Dublin First Baptist Church. Some go, some pray, some encourage, some send gifts to meet tangible needs along with us, some financially support, but every single one of those, each person's part to play is essential in the mission that Jesus gave us being accomplished as we fulfill the Great Commission together. We're all doing that together. You know, chapter 18 closes in verse 24 to 28 with a description of the reproduction on mission. This is probably the most important part because this is what the Great Commission is all about, reproduction multiplication, and we see it here once again. When I was in the military, um, we had something we called an op tempo, operational tempo. Um, That referred to how frequently uh, any particular unit might be assigned to a mission or or be deployed out on mission. For about a decade following 9-11, the op tempo for most units out of Fort Bragg was extremely high. And the op tempo is for Paul here too. Verse 23 says, after Paul had spent some time there, meaning at the church in Antioch, reporting to them, probably getting some relaxation and refreshment, but it says that Paul headed right back out on the third missionary journey. And when I read that, as I study that over this past week, I'm again, I'm both convicted by and I'm motivated by Paul's example here. Man, if if Christians could just get a fraction of the Apostle Paul's passion for missions and passion to lead people to Jesus and to make disciples, listen, there is nothing wrong and there is everything right with making sure that we never allow ourselves to get uh, completely worn out in ministry. But church, we have at our disposal a supernatural power source, don't we? We do, the Holy Spirit. 
the same one that, that Paul had and all these early Christians relied on. And part of that high op tempo when I served our nation was due to a couple of things. First of all, the time element was short. We had just been attacked. And the longer those who planned that attack or who had participated in it, the longer that that went unaddressed, the greater the chances of us being attacked again. Is there a time element to our mission, church? Yeah. Yeah, there is. I mean, there are people who are going to leave this world today never having heard of, never having received Jesus as Savior, people who are, according to God's word, who are headed to an eternity in hell. That short time element we have, it necessitates a high op tempo. Another reason we had that when I was in the army, because the threat level was high. Church, is the threat level high? I mean, in the past 20, 30 years, even the freedom we have here in the freest nation in the world to share the gospel, that is starting to be restricted. You know, there's a threat level. There's threats to the gospel we share. Not just not being able to do it. There's threats to the gospel where there is gospels being preached that aren't the gospel. Um, there's distractions that, that the devil throws at us to have us focus on the here and now way more than the then and there, what matters in eternity. Are there things that pull at believers and unbelievers alike trying to detour us from what Jesus has asked us to do and commanded us to do and promised to empower us to do? Yeah, the threat level is high. So the op tempo for us needs to be high. I think sometimes we forget that we are in a war here. And if you're in a war, and we are, that there is nothing more dangerous to mission accomplishment than forgetting you're in a war. In verse 23, Paul heads right back out on mission. The time is short. The threat level is high. We have a mission to complete. That was Paul's mindset. And it tells us that Paul went where he went on the first two mission trips. He went to where he had already shared the gospel, where he had already planted churches. He went there to check on them, to strengthen them, to help them, the churches he had already planted, help them grow in their faith. That's what making disciples is. It's not just leading people to Christ. It's helping people to continue in the relationship with the Lord. He was never confused about the mission that's the Great Commission. It's not just to make converts. It's to make disciples. And it's not enough to have a strong beginning with Jesus. There must always be a growing in our relationship with him all the time, the rest of our lives. And while Paul's in the region of Galatia doing that, God sovereignly sends a Jewish man named Apollos to Ephesus where Paul had left Aquila and Priscilla to disciple the new believers there. Verse 24 describes him. Apollos was an eloquent man, meaning he had a natural gift of speaking and teaching. He's also described here as being mighty in the scriptures, especially referring to the Old Testament. Apollos, he knew God's word. He had a gift from the Lord to communicate God's word to others. And verse 25 tells us that Apollos was instructed in the way of the Lord. There's a lot of um, differing opinions. Was Apollos at this point a Christian or not? Was he saved or not? And we can come to, to different opinions on what God's word says here. Um, when it says the way of the Lord there in verse 25, especially that word way, we're going to see it next week. And we're going to see a similar situation next week. Um, when you see way, in, in Acts, it's talking about the church. It's talking about people who had trusted in Jesus as Savior. That's what they were called. Before they were called Christians, it was called the way. 
It says he was instructed in the way of the Lord, a description of Christianity in the early church era. And because of that phrase, it's likely that Apollos was saved. But he had a very limited knowledge of the full person and work of Jesus Christ. We're going to learn that in just a second. Verse 25 also says that he was fervent in spirit. So he was passionate about this ministry he had. He loved the Lord and he knew what God had told him to do. It says he spake and he taught diligently the things of the Lord. But Apollos, at this point, it says, he only knew of John's baptism. Well, what's God talking about here? And I want you to try to go back to the uh, time of the, the, before Jesus actually um, started his ministry. I mean, he was here and, and his, his cousin, John the Baptist, is out preaching that's what we learn in all of the Gospels at the beginning of them. John the Baptist is preaching and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying the Messiah is here. He's about to be revealed. Eventually, uh, he is revealed. John points to him, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. But that was a couple-year process before Jesus began his ministry, after John had started his. I imagine there were people like Apollos here and like some Christians we'll learn about uh, next week who they had heard John preach. They might have been baptized by John. That They weren't from Jerusalem, and they heard him preach, and they, they followed what John was saying, and they believed that the Messiah was here, and they put their faith and trust in that Messiah, not even knowing who his name was. And then they had to go home to Ephesus or to Corinth or to Alexandria or somewhere. They only knew about the baptism of John. That's Apollos' case. John's baptism, obviously, that's the baptism that John the Baptist did. John would preach that the Messiah had come, he would urge people, repent of your sins, turn in faith to God, turn in faith to the salvation that would come through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But God's word speaks of another kind of baptism. Uh, the baptism that Jesus taught about. What was that baptism? It was a baptism that all the disciples experienced on the day of Pentecost in that upper room prayer meeting. They were baptized by fire. They were baptized by the Holy Spirit coming to indwell them and coming to fill them. Apparently, Apollos had not known about that yet. He won there. And you and I, we have another kind of baptism, and that's why we're called Dublin First Baptist Church, and that's why we have this behind me, and that's what we're going to do uh, next week. It's a water baptism that God's Word talks about and commands those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. It commands those who have experienced Holy Spirit baptism, who have been saved in that immediate moment that they trusted in Jesus as Savior. The Holy Spirit came to indwell them and, and live in them for the all eternity they're supposed to get baptized as a sign of that, as a profession of that having already occurred in their life. Verse 26 tells us that this eloquent and mighty in the scriptures man, Apollos, he began to preach boldly in the synagogue there in Ephesus. And Aquila and Priscilla heard him, but they discerned from his teaching that he had not yet heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He might not have heard about the, the water baptism that the church was already doing. And in any case, verse 26 says this, they took Apollos unto them, and Priscilla and Aquila, they expounded to him the way of God more perfectly. Making disciples. That's Aquila and Priscilla um, obeying the Great Commission, being involved in it. They lovingly taught this fellow believer who God was already using, they lovingly taught him more about what God's word says about salvation and what it means to follow Jesus. And though this was a talented guy, it's very clear that Apollos, he was a humble, he was a teachable man. And it's clear here that this is what disciple making looks like. I mean, we, we might as well have a definition. It's inviting people to walk with us as we walk with Jesus, teaching them, leading them to have a deeper understanding of God's word. 
whether that's an initial exposure where they first hear the gospel and they trust in Jesus, or whether that's a lifelong, deeper relationship with him. We find out in verse 27 that Apollos attended, he intended to head to Achaia. Now that's the area of Greece where Corinth was located. And the Christians here in the church at Ephesus, they give Apollos a letter of recommendation to take along with him so that the Christians there in Corinth would warmly receive him. Hey, this guy is solid. He's, you're going to be blessed by him. He's a great Bible teacher. He loves the Lord. He's passionate about ministry. And then the fruit of his ministry there in Corinth is described in the last phrase of verse 27 and into verse 28. It says that Apollos helped them much, which had believed through grace, for he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah. And God's sovereignty, Paul, he might have had a short time there, but um, God sent Apollos there to help continue to grow that church, continue to make disciples. It's reproduction. <laughs> it's multiplication. And church, that's what the Great Commission is all about. It's a disciple of Jesus making disciples of Jesus. We've seen it even in just this, this short little count over two chapters. Uh, Paul leading Aquila and Priscilla when, when their paths intersect. Paul leading those two to place their faith in Jesus for salvation. And then Paul helping Aquila and Priscilla understand what their relationship with the Lord means and what they're supposed to be doing and helping them get active in missions themselves. And then them, Aquila and Priscilla, now as disciples of Jesus, making a disciple of Jesus out of Apollos. We just read about in verses 27 and 28, Apollos doing that in the church of Corinth. Reproduction, multiplication. Is our time short? It is. Is the threat level high? Then we had better be on mission. Relying on the strength that God's promised to provide us in the Holy Spirit to enthusiastically and to energetically accomplish that mission, our op tempo had better match the reality of our time element and this threat level. We're at war here, and the mission is a go. Are you reproducing? Are you multiplying? Our mission here at Dublin First Baptist Church is what it says on our documents. It's what we, we teach about. It's to make the name of Jesus treasured here, there, and everywhere by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Sometimes that means introducing someone who's never heard of Jesus, who's never heard the gospel. Sometimes it means introducing them to Christ. And then sometimes that means being used of God to lead someone who has heard the gospel to place their faith in Jesus as Savior. Sometimes the reproducing, the multiplication that is disciple making, that is the Great Commission, it means you and I helping somebody who has been saved, helping them grow in God's word, grow in their relationship with the Lord more deeply. Are you doing that? Are you doing any of that? You need to be. When Jesus, we can go all the way back to Acts chapter 1-8, where we get that whole here, there, and everywhere thing. We go back to Acts chapter 1-8, and Jesus said, ye shall be my witnesses. He wasn't talking to one person. He wasn't talking to 11 disciples at that point. He said, ye shall be my witnesses. Remember that in a King James Version, a, a ye is a y'all. It's everyone. Everyone who's trusted Christ as Savior. You have a role. You you have a responsibility as a disciple of Jesus to make disciples of Jesus. Who are you inviting to walk with you as you walk with Jesus? Will you pray this morning that God gives you an opportunity to do that this week? If you pray that, he will. Pray that he gives you an opportunity to recognize that opportunity and then actually to be encouraged enough by the Holy Spirit and empowered by him to seize it 
Will you commit to being on mission, to making disciples together here at Dublin First Baptist Church? I'll have Tommy come, and I don't like to get in Tommy's way, um, but, and Ray, you need to hear this too, and Coran. Can we sing, uh, I love to tell a story again. Uh, he had a different song planned, but as I was singing that, and I, I had to stop a few times because I was like, do, I do love to tell the story, and I know you do too, but I don't know if I love it like I just sang it in that song. And so I, th I think we need to sing that again and sing it as a commitment to the Lord. However God's moved you to respond today, it is our faith.